Welcome to the Northeast Christian Podcast. We're so excited that you've decided to check out our weekly messages. We hope that you're challenged and inspired by what you're hearing today. We'd love to have you join us this weekend at one of our campuses or online at northeast.live. For more information on Northeast, visit us at necchurch.org. If you love the Northeast podcast, subscribe to our channel and leave us a comment or a rating in the Apple Podcast Store. It is good to be back at Northeast. I've been looking forward to the opportunity to do it. My goal is to become, you know, the fun uncle of Northeast Christian Church. I'm, you know, Tyler CrossFits, I eat McDonald's. We, you know, we each have our own little thing that we do. I've been able to spend some time here in Louisville over the last couple of days, and I just, um, where I'm from in our communities where we have churches, um, there's a lot of lost people, no doubt about it, but the percentage of people that are a part of our church is just relatively high. And over the last couple of days just being here, you, you guys already know this, um, this community needs a place like this. It needs a church like this. It needs people who are committed to Jesus, committed to giving them the help and the hope that they need because without him, not only is it not going to get any better in this life, it's only going to get worse in the next one. I want to uh, say happy Father's Day to all of you who are fathers. It's super excited to have you guys here. I'm going to preach this sermon. Yeah. Way to go, dads. I'm going to preach this sermon so I can drive home so hopefully I can enjoy Father's Day with my family. Um, Speaking of dads, uh, recently or a while back in St. Louis, uh, a family opened up a store called The Husband Store. Women could go into this store and forego all of the hassles of dating, just pick themselves out a man from the store and go home with him. And the rules of the store, just that way they didn't have too many challenges, were you could come in and the store was six stories tall. You come in and you could look at, pick any man you want out of a floor, and if you didn't like it, what you saw there, you could go up one floor, but, and you could check out the men on floor two. You could just never go back down. And so these girls got together and like, I'm just tired of being single and change my own flat tires on the side of the road. I gotta get myself a tire changer, I mean husband. And so she, uh, th- these girls got together and they went to the store and they got there, they read all the rules, which I explained to you. And uh, door, floor number one just had this written on there. The, all the men on this floor have high paying jobs. They're like, this is fantastic because I don't want to work. Um, I just, you know, it'd be fantastic if I could get a man with a high paying job. They walk in there, were very pleased with everything that they saw, but they were going, wow, that's only floor one. I wonder what's on floor two. So they left floor one, and obviously when you leave floor one, you can't go back down, they go to floor two. Floor two, the sign says this, these men have high paying jobs and a strong romantic streak. These ladies were excited to go in there and they walked into floor two and they were pretty impressed with what they saw. It was fantastic. But deep down inside they were wondering, I mean, if this is floor two, what could be on floor three? So they walk up the stairs to floor three and the door for floor two closes behind them and it's the sign on floor three says, these men have high paying jobs, a strong romantic streak and they love kids. Yeah, you get it. (laughs) These men can afford kids, are willing to put in the effort to make kids, and then they want to be around the kids once they're here. This is a floor three has a lot going on. But then they're asking themselves, I mean, if this is floor three, we're only halfway up. What's on floor four? So they close the door behind them on floor three, walk up to floor four. The sign says these men have high paying jobs, a strong romantic streak, love kids and enjoy helping around the house. Jehovah Jireh, I, what? this is good. And they are impressed with floor four. And then they're going, man, if this is floor four, what's floor five? Sign on floor five said this, these men have high paying jobs a strong romantic streak, love kids, enjoy helping around the house, and are incredibly handsome. Some of you came with the floor five guy today, and we see you. (laughs) But they were wondering, like, how? What could be on floor six? So they left floor six, or floor five, without a man. Let the door close behind them. They walked up the 16 steps to floor six. Floor six had this sign on it. Your visitor, 3,126,853 to this floor. 
There are no men on this floor. This floor exists to prove that women are impossible to please. Can I get an amen? <laughs> oh, happy Father's Day. Man, some of you are just, let's just go home. That was good. Drop, drop off a double tie. Um, in an effort to make sure that they avoided the gender biases and discrimination suits, they eventually opened up the wife store. Floor one. These women like to cook. Floor two. The women on this floor like to cook and have sex. Floors three, four, five, and six have never been visited. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. <laughs> uh, if you didn't like that joke, you can email me at Tyler McKenzie at Northeast Christian Church. Um, <laughs> woo. You awake now? Maybe this explains the difference between consumer spending on Mother's Day and Father's Day. Mother's Day will generate $25 billion in, U, uh, in U.S. spending and Father's Day a measly $15 billion. That's a $10 billion gap trying to please women. Or as some might say, they're worth every penny. <laughs> on the other hand, men would be happy today, just so you know, if you want to target on the wall, ladies. Some words of encouragement, a nice meal, and a guilt-free nap. And your man will be like, that was the best Father's Day ever. <laughs> oh, more golf stuff. Okay. Today, I want to talk to you about how to be an intentional dad who makes a difference. Now, while this sermon will focus on fathers, it is by no means to isolate the mothers, the grandmothers, the grandfathers, the single men, or the single women who are gathered with us today. In fact, the principles we're going to talk about today are universal in nature because they're rooted in God's word. God's word is timeless, useful, and unchanging. And you can build your life on it. So no matter where you find yourself today, you can apply what we're gonna talk about, although I'm gonna specifically talk, for the most part, to the men. Would you turn to your neighbor and just say, I wanna make a difference. So you guys sucked at that. So we're gonna do it again. <laughs> I'll start over like we just, turn to your neighbor and say, I wanna make a difference. Oh, you guys are great people, God bless you. <laughs> Hear me, it is God's, in God's design, it is critical, not just for the creation of the children, but for the development of the children and the formation of these children for men to be involved. This was God's design. I say this because culture continues to reduce the importance and necessity of fathers. However, counseling centers cannot be opened fast enough to deal with the father wounds that so many people are navigating. Pastoral staff continually have to help people create an appropriate view of their heavenly father because the, all of the baggage caused by their earthly father. Looking into the future, there's an even bigger challenge ahead. Churches are doing a significantly better job of reaching women than they are of reaching men. Some studies show that women make up between 60 and 70% of regular church attenders. The reason this is so alarming is because if the church, if Northeast Christian Church is committed to accomplishing the Great Commission, men serve a unique role. Now, while this uh, statistic has been hotly debated back and forth by many others, I have seen this to be true in the life of my own church, and maybe you could see it to be true in the life of your church. Here is the statistic, that when a dad comes to faith first, 93% of the time, the rest of the family follows. When a woman comes to faith in Christ first, 17% of the time, the rest of the family follows. And when a child comes to faith first, 3.5% of the time, the rest of the family follows. In other words, if you want to reach the family, you have to reach the man. Now, I think over time, we're gonna see this percentages change as we get more into the idol worship of our kids and we are governed by their desires. Now, women, before you write the hate mail, let me say this to you. This does not in any way negate the powerful influence you have in the spiritual development of your family. Most kids learn their faith 
and follow in the faith of their mother. Teenagers who practice a Christian faith overwhelmingly identify mothers as the one who provided the spiritual instruction, guidance, and example. Let's put these two things together. To those of you who are single, happy Singles Day. <laughs> this is what I tell people at our church. Don't let your heart fall for someone whose heart hasn't been given over to Jesus. Here's what happens. Your heart can fall for all kinds of stupid things. How many of you guys have an ugly dog? Yeah. And I'm sure there's even cat owners, right? Like you have, you have the capacity to fall in love with something that shouldn't be loved. God made them, but doesn't mean you need to take them home. And what I see happen is, is people fall in love with Jesus and they're like, oh, Jesus, you're so great. I want what you want for me. This will be awesome. And then they meet Ted. Like, oh, Ted doesn't love Jesus, but he tans. <laughs> and has a metabolism. And just so you know, for now, okay? <laughs> and what they do is, is they move away from God's plan and purposes because their heart belongs to Ted now, but Ted's heart doesn't belong to Jesus. And then they find themselves in a marriage that they didn't see happening with challenges they didn't see happening and they're wondering where God is. Well, God is where he was. God blesses obedience. God doesn't bless disobedience. So he redeems sin. Now don't take, I'm not taking anything away from God today. How many of you are busted up and jacked up in some part of your life? Yeah, you can raise your hand, okay? I want you guys to start going, oh yeah, you should be listening, okay? The way God works is, is he comes into your life and he redeems sin and he blesses obedience. The problem is we've been so accustomed to the stories of God's redemption that we forget how much he blesses obedience. And I will tell you, you would rather have God's blessing than you would have, rather have his redemption. And so when you go spouse hunting, what you wanna do is, is you wanna put yourself in a position where God blesses the relationship, blesses the marriage. So fathers, where you go spiritually, 93% of the time your family will follow. And who you choose to make the mother of your children, your helpmate, your supporter, the one who comes alongside of you, the one who you become one flesh with, statistics show she will be the one who will put or imprint the faith on the kids. So choose wisely. That was just extra, not in the sermon. We're going long. <laughs> Some of you might be discouraged right now because you're going, my family, my kids are not turning out the way I thought. My marriage is not turning out the way I thought or the way you would have liked. And some of you, if you're gonna be radically honest, you're a little ticked because your marriage, your family, your kids aren't turning out the way you prayed. I just wanna tell you, you're in great company. Every person you're sitting next to is jacked up. Their family's jacked up. They're just not being honest because they're prideful. Furthermore, if you were to read your Bible, you'd realize that you're an incredibly good company because it is one of the hardest things to do in scripture is to find a family that you would wanna model your life after. Who were the good dads in the Bible? Who were the families that you're like, I wish they would adopt me? Like none, zero, there's not a family. Maybe one of the hardest things to do in this world is to have a godly marriage and raise a godly family. So let's just embrace the pain and get to it. Part of the reason why it's hard to raise a godly family and have a godly marriage is because your family has a spiritual enemy. Jesus proclaimed this to us. He said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. You want a good marriage? Satan wants to kill it. You want to heal the brokenness in your family? Satan wants to destroy it. You want to bring about a change, a revolution in your family tree that lasts for generations? Satan wants to stop it in its tracks. You want to come clean to your wife about something that's going on in your marriage so that way you can start to experience God's blessings of obedience. The moment you try to move there, Satan's going to try to kill that move in your life. You've come to church hundreds of times, heard sermons where you felt like you should respond. And somehow from the moment you were sitting and you wanted to respond to the time you actually made the decision, you didn't get to making the decision because Satan snatched it off the path before it could ever take root. You have an enemy. You have a spiritual enemy. And he takes no days off. I'm from the Republican part of Illinois. 
So I know you've only seen us in electoral maps when we're just all blue, but I'm from the Republican part. I'm not saying that's good or bad, I'm just saying that's where my people are from. We invented camo and Crocs. Like that is how we show up for things. I've done weddings with people in camo tuxedos, okay? We're that cool. You thought you were redneck. No, 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 okay? And in my part of the world, people are super excited about gun rights because they are gonna protect people, their family, if anybody ever tries to come to their house, they got another thing coming. They've got their black rifle coffee company shirts, their American flag muted out, army shirts. They've got all their different guns. They've got their concealed carry permits. They are super fired up about protecting their family if anybody ever tries to come to their house and get their stuff. And I just ask, do you ever, do you know anybody who's ever had their house broken into? They don't. They don't know a single person who's had their house broken into. Not one. I'm here with you. My house is unlocked. My keys are in the driveway, or my car is in the driveway. With the, I didn't even pull it in the garage. No one's taking my stuff. The funny thing, though, is that the men in my church are raised up to fight an enemy that has never actually happened, and they don't know anybody that has ever experienced it. And they are completely ill-equipped and underarmed to fight the enemy that is already in their house. And it happens all the time. You know this. You, your, your issues is not whether or not your heart's locked or your house is locked up. Your issue is whether or not your heart's locked up. Your issues are not the physical realities of this world. It's the unseen spiritual realities that are taking the most ground in your life. You have an enemy. And maybe Satan realizes how powerful the family can actually be. And that's why he attacks it. Can we do a, like a group participation thing? Hold up the finger one. Genesis one, God creates man. Genesis two, pulled up the two. He creates woman, now we got a family. Genesis three, they sin. Genesis four, their oldest son kills their youngest son. One, two, three, four. Satan takes no days off. He knows that the moment a family is formed, if he can find his way in there, he can bring about destruction that lasts for generations. But not only does your family have a spiritual enemy, it has a, an enemy inside of you, your flesh. And our fleshly desires are always waging war against us. We could all echo the cry of Paul in Romans chapter seven. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate to do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I wanna do, but the evil I don't wanna do. This I keep on doing, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. That's a testimony right there. Some of you last week, you heard the sermon and you're in the middle of the church and you're like, you know what, this week when I get home, I'm gonna be more proactive, I'm gonna do this, that, and the other, and all week you didn't do one of those things. And some of you this week, you're like, you know what, I'm gonna be, I just, I'm just tired of this sin in my life. I'm just not gonna do that sin as much anymore. And you didn't make it till Monday morning before you did that sin. And in fact, if you were honest, you scare cussed more than once and one of those actually wasn't a scare cuss, it was a real cuss and you didn't actually pray for forgiveness for it. Like you found yourself in spots and you are doing the very thing that you don't wanna do and you haven't got around to doing the thing that deep down inside you actually wanna do. There's an enemy. You all want a better marriage. You wanna go through the things to get a better marriage but you probably haven't been doing the things that get you the better marriage. You've probably been accidentally doing the things that help you have a worse marriage. In fact, most of us are just going from accident to accident. And so when it comes to our kids, we're accidentally parenting. And when it comes to our marriage, we're accidentally marriaging. But when was the last time someone ever described an accident as a good thing? I got in an accident today. Oh, praise God, you're so lucky. Yeah, I'm hopeful to get in another one later today. But if I were to ask you, what is the strategy you have to have a better marriage? Most of us don't have one. What's the strategy you're implementing to have greater kids? Don't really have one. How are you planning on coping through the teenage years? Not really sure, I think survival. And so you look to people around and then you see some kids that accidentally turned out all right and you go to their parents, how did you do it? And they're like, we're really not sure. <laughs> so you can either accidentally arrive at some place or you can at least purposefully try to get there. And the problem is, we have a hard time being purposeful and it's pretty easy to be accidental. So how do you navigate it? 
Maybe you guys have heard this Native American proverb of a tribal leader is teaching his grandson about life. And he says, a fight's going on inside of me, he says to the boy. It's a terrible fight between two dogs. One is evil, he says to the boy. It's a terrible dog. He wants to fight. He's full of anger and envy and sorrow and regret and greed and arrogance and self-pity and guilt and resentment and inferiority and lies and false pride and superiority and ego. And he continues, but the other dog is a good dog. He's full of joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. And the same fight is going on inside of you, young man, and every other person as well. The grandson thought about it for a moment, then he turns to his grandfather and he goes, which dog will win? You know the answer, the chief replied, the one you feed. The dog that wins is the dog you feed. Now I've got bad news. I can't feed the good dog for you. Tyler can't feed the good dog for you. The elders and staff at this church can't feed the good dog for you. Your wife can't feed the good dog for you. Your husband can't feed the good dog for you. Your kids can't feed the good dog for you. The news can't feed the good dog for you. Only you can feed the good dog in your heart. So since I can't feed the good dog, I just decided today I'm gonna wake the good dog up inside of you because there is a dog inside you that needs to wake up, eat, and win for your family, for your kids, and for future generations. God has called you to a glorious mission. It is time for us to wake up. Ephesians chapter five, verse one through 20, in my opinion, is the condensed version of what God wants for every Christian. If you wanna like save yourself, if you're going, hey, what's the cheat code to the New Testament? Ephesians five, one through 20. You don't have to read the whole thing. You'd be like, I read the summary. Ephesians five, one through 20. This is what it says, if you wanna be an intentional father, if you wanna have a better marriage, better parenting, if you wanna be a better wife, if you wanna do this, Ephesians five, I believe has it all. Ready? First part, follow God's example. That's it, right there, that was pretty good, right? Follow him. How can you follow him if you're not aware of what he does? How do you become aware of what he does? Through his word and through his spirit. The reason we have a hard time having a good direction in our marriage and good direction in our parenting is because we're not following the example of God. We're not following the example of God because we don't know the example of God and we don't know the example of God because we're not spending time in his word and with his spirit. And then he says, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Pause, devotion time. Men, have you noticed that women all love Jesus? Ah, oh, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's such a good guy. Sweetest one I know. Right? They love Jesus. They go to church, they're talking about Jesus. They're reading the Bible, they're talking about Jesus. They slam their hand in the car door, they're talking about Jesus. They are always talking about Jesus. And I will tell you, there are two things that I believe every, why every woman I know loves Jesus because his love for her was sacrificial. And he wants what's best for her. Men, might I make a recommendation that if you would like your wife to love you more, that you would follow the example of God and the example of Jesus, that you would love your wife sacrificially and you would want what is in her best interest. And perhaps the strategy that you have been employing, which is I love my wife so much, I want her to sacrifice for me. <laughs> and I would like her to put my needs above hers, might not be the strategy you want to employ. Let me ask you a serious question, fellas. Don't answer out loud. And women, if you nudge, I will rain down fire and brimstone on you. <laughs> Men. When was the last time you sacrificed? When was the last time you did something that you hated because you love her more? I mean, we're just only through the first two verses. Let's go to three. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual morality or any kind of impurity. Yeah, I'm going there. Guys, what you're watching, what you're logging into, who you're following on, whatever, Avoid a hint of it. Just don't. Like that would be, just don't. Uh, I watched, I used to watch TV at my house. And um, 
you know, there's like the shows you watch when your kids are still awake and then there's the shows you watch after your kids go to bed. Is, are you guys, do you guys lie here or how do you guys do this? I, didn't, I don't know, I don't know the rules. Like, are you guys like, oh my gosh, he does, he watches TV. Some of you had judgy faces and you should fix that, okay? And so I would be watching the shows you watch when your kids go to bed and then my kids would come down from bed and then you try to grab the remote and you pause it and then inevitably the place you pause it is something you're gonna have to explain. You been there? I was just like, screw it, I'm just not watching it. Like, what's, what, what is the value? I bet there's something better I could do with my life. Like, I don't think I'm gonna get to heaven and be like, hey, so God, just so you know, I watched all the episodes. What do you mean? I watched them all. I loved you so much, I watched all the episodes so that way we could talk about them for eternity. <laughs> let me ask you a serious question. Like, let me, how many of you, your life is just so much better because you watched a whole episode? <laughs> yeah, mine either. <laughs> oh yeah, my marriage was really taking a nosedive. And then we watched the reruns of The Office. And we've been kissing ever since. Yeah, it's... anyhow, so I just was like, I'm, this is dumb, I'm not doing it. All right, here's the next one. Nor should any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place. Oh, no, 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 sorry, 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 sorry. Please forgive me, up in the booth. Verse three, or greed. It's impossible to be an American and not talk about greed because we are also the Americans that it's always the people that are richer than us that are the greedy people. It's never us. Most of you have better houses for your cars than the global Christians have. Like your car house is pretty freaking awesome. You also have a house house or a, a clothes house. Like your closet's better than most people's houses. We're greedy people. And some of you men, let me talk to you for just a second. You uh, have rationalized your greed. I gotta provide for my family. They wouldn't be able to have all these cool things if I wasn't working so hard. Now, let me say a couple things. One, as a Christian, you should be the best employee. The best. Now, if you get fired, it's because of principles that you wouldn't violate. It should not be because of bad work ethic and bad customer service. Christians should dominate the workplace. They should be, they should be profiling Christians. Are you a Christian? You've got to get on. We're hiring all the Christians today. That's our billboard. You, but, but the crazy part is all the Christians, some of you are you, and I wouldn't hire you. Okay? But some of you, you are, you are advocating the physical provision that you have given your family, and you've written a permission slip about the spiritual provision you're supposed to give your family. Sometimes we've used our greed. You like giving your kids those things, but they don't need those things. Because these are improper for God's holy people. Verse four, there should be, uh, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. In other words, guys, when you go golfing, stop doing what you're doing, which are out of place. But rather, what should come out of your mouth is thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. Pay attention, this is harsh, these are hard words. No immoral, impure, or greedy person such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Uh, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once in darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Here's what he's saying. If you're going deer hunting, and you were gonna kill a bunch of deers, you would wear camo. Some of you didn't realize that that is not supposed to be plural, so Kentucky needs to update their education program, okay? Some of you are gonna go turkey hunting, and you're gonna try and kill some turkeys, which is a plural, you put the S at the end of it, and you put on the camo. And we think that when we're gonna go out and reach Christians, we're gonna be these incognito camouflage Christians, and then after a long time, we'll be like, surprise, I have the love of Jesus in my heart, and you can too. That's not how Jesus works. This is Jesus' strategy. He wants you to burn as brightly as you possibly can so that way they see you. They see the redemptive power of God at work in your life and they see the blessings that are coming from obedience and they are drawn to you like a moth to the flame. That you would stand out sitting on a hill style that from a distance they could take notice that this person is different. He's saying, I want you to be children of the light so that way you shine 
But everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. He will magnify your life in the presence of other people so they can see what he is doing inside of you, be drawn to you and have what you have in Christ. Then he says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. How do you do that? Making the most of every opportunity. Why should we do that? Because the days are evil. This could have been written yesterday. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. This is uh, top five questions I get asked as a pastor. What is God's will for my life? How do I know God's will? Here's what I'll tell you. One of the ways you can know whether or not you are mature in Christ is your ability to discern God's will. That when you are spending time with the Lord, spending time with his spirit, spending time with his people, you can discern the will of God. We need to have people that can discern the will of God so we can point people to God. That's his will for us. Do not get drunk on wine. We're in Kentucky, so how do I uh, navigate that one? Here's the deal. Uh, You can drink, don't get drunk. You should never be in a position where you can't drive and tell somebody about Jesus in a clear way. So if you can't tell somebody about Jesus when you're sober, you should read your Bible more and drink less, way less. But you should always be in a position where God can use you to magnify his kingdom. That's the rule. Which leads to debauchery. So he's also saying, going down the drinking road, nobody's ever been like, you know what, my marriage was really kinda going in the wrong direction. And then I started drinking more. And now we are just so close. <laughs> yeah, I was having a hard time managing the kids. Started drinking more. And now my relationship with my kids has never been better. I've never heard that testimony. So don't get drunk. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need men and women to hold high the standard of Christ to our spouses, our children, our family, and our community. And we are gonna do that by being wise instead of unwise and seizing every opportunity. How do we do that? First thing I would tell you is Christians, we should use our hands to help and not point fingers. It's like in vogue now for Christians to post their hot takes on social media. It's in vogue now to make fun of the generations that are coming after us, which by, uh, just so you know, are the generations that you raised. So let's be careful with that. Because we're like, oh yeah, this generation is yada yada. I'm like, oh yeah, you mean you're just, you're a bad parent? Is that what you're trying to say? The pointing strategy, let me just ask this serious question, is that working? Yeah, I don't think so. Has that ever worked? Yeah, so let's stop doing it. Let's do a different one. Let's use our hands to help. Here's what I mean. I hear people talking all the time. Youth sports is crazy, super crazy. Kids are gone all the time. They're not at church all the time. We're just traveling all over. Here's what you do. Become the coach. Then they practice around your schedule. And they don't go to the tournaments you don't want them to. That's how I make sure that my kids can play sports and go to church. I'm the coach, y'all. <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll, we, won't, we won't be practicing then. Why? I'll be at church. So will my kids. So now, instead of sports pulling my kids away from sports, my kids are using sports to pull kids to church. All I had to do was become the coach. Instead of going, hey, hey when you guys are scheduling this stuff, it makes it pretty hard for me to take my family and lead my family spiritually. You know what I've noticed? Uh, uh, athletic leagues are looking for invested dads. They're begging for someone to be invested. So if you don't, uh, if you're not a dad, uh, you could still show up and coach something. I mean, I could coach about anything. I mean, I'm not good at any of them, <laughs> but I can beat a 10 year old. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I can dominate 10 year old sports, you know. I mean, my only rule is no tennis. Um, I mean, I played tennis in high school. I'm pretty good at tennis because I'm tall and attractive, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm just not coaching. Uh, here's what I'm saying. 
uh, there should be a line out the door for men to invest in the kids' ministries program at your church. You get frustrated all these kids being raised without dads, then be a surrogate dad and be a spiritual father to as many as you can for one hour a week. I'll be honest with you, sometimes I just wish I could be a dad for one hour a week, okay? I mean, it's not always fun. You could go over there and make a strategic difference. You can complain about the generation that's gonna be responsible for paying your social security so that way you can keep living and eventually retire, or you could go invest in them. I just be honest with you, I think you know that I'm right. There should be a line. Some of you, you're old enough now, you should be doing the math on when can you retire. And you should try to retire early so that way you can dedicate more of your time to meeting with any man who wants to meet with you to help them become a follower of Jesus Christ. Your best and most effective years could be on the other side of your retirement. So retire as fast as humanly possible. Figure out how you can shrink down your expenses and make a strategic investment. Come on staff for free and invest in men nonstop. Why wouldn't you? Uh, second thing I would tell you, it's not only you're supposed to use your hands to help instead of point fingers. I would tell you, don't let pride get in the way of your progress. Don't let pride get in the way of your progress. The elders at my church uh, recently gave me the opportunity to start learning uh, golf. And I'm horrible at golf. I'm more than horrible, I'm dangerous. <laughs> um, recently, I was, I was playing a ball that was right there and I was uh, hitting it, well, I was supposed to hit it, and it, the, the pin was that way. And then there was a person in a golf cart right there. And I hit the ball through the golf cart where the guy was. And dangerous. Now, here's what I've noticed. The more I say I'm bad at something, the more people are willing to help me out. The more I humble myself, and I'm like, hey, how do you, how do you hit out of a sand, sand trap? Guy's like, oh, I'll help you. I'm like, hey, I'm gonna be golfing this day. Oh, I'll take off work, I'll come out, I'll help you hit your irons. How do you do your drivers? I don't know how to hit my drivers. Oh, I'll tell you how to hit my drivers. I go to another guy, hey, so what do I do when I'm in this spot? And he's like, oh, this is what you do. Since I've started asking people for help, guess what's happened? They're like, they don't like my golf bag anymore, so they got me a new golf bag. They don't like the clubs I'm hitting with, they got me new golf clubs. They don't like my irons, they got me irons. They don't like my wedges, they got me wedges. They don't like my drivers, they got me new drivers. They are, they are, people are going, I'll give you lessons. Other people are saying, I'll pay for lessons. There's a whole network of people that want me to be good at golf. And the only reason they want me to be good at golf is because I keep saying, I'm bad at golf, would you help? If only a couple guys would just be honest and say, I don't know how to read the Bible. I don't know how to, I don't know how to lead my home spiritually. I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to have a quiet time. I don't know how to connect with my wife because of the damage we've done. I don't know how to repent in front of my family for the sins that I've committed. I don't know how. If only there'd be a couple dudes who would just say, you know what, I'm gonna humble myself and I'm not gonna let the pride get in the way of the progress that God wants to take in my home. Because I'll tell you what I would do. If a man came up to me and said, I don't know how to read the Bible, I'd clear my schedule and say we start tomorrow, 6 a.m., I'll call you. And you know what, there are men sitting in your row who would do the very same thing. They just don't know. Now not one person that I'm golfing with is Tiger Woods. They're not professionals. They're not all that great. They're just better than me. And some of you are going, I gotta wait till I get to level 12 Christian before I can help people. Nope, you just gotta be better than them. Have you read the Bible yesterday? Then you're qualified to teach somebody what you read yesterday. If only you would not let pride get in the way of your progress. Proverbs 22 verse six says, train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You cannot escape this reality. You are raising a future husband and a future wife. You are raising a future father and mother. There is a 0% chance that my kids are gonna have to hit a fastball as a, in order to earn an income. But they are gonna have to navigate an upset wife. There is a 0% chance that my kid's backhand is gonna pay their medical bills. 0% chance. There's a 100% chance that they're gonna have to know how to navigate a prayer that doesn't go the way you wanted it to be answered. Are you training your kids for life with Christ? 
So here's what I'm doing. When my wife leaves, we clean the house, like all the way, top to bottom. Part of it's because I want her to know that we'll be just fine without her. <laughs> it kind of helps me tell her that like she's the dirty one. <laughs> like when she comes home, it's just spotless. I'm like, yeah, you know, this is just how we like to live. Okay. And, and if you know me, uh, you would know that I'm speaking the absolute truth. I'm that kind of guy, okay? And uh, so I was like, you know what? My boys need to know how to clean a house because I don't want them thinking that it's just on. I want, them to, I want them to take ownership in what they have. So I brought my boys in. My boys are 10 and 12. Boys, your mom's gone and she's gonna be home tomorrow. And between now and tomorrow, you are gonna learn how to clean a house. We are gonna start here in the kitchen by the dining room table. You see these chairs that are out of place? Yeah? I'm gonna show you how to push a chair back into the table. <laughs> like this. Not like that. Both sides have to be about a half inch away because we're not jacking up the furniture. Boys. We're gonna come over here and I'm gonna teach you how to take a dish out of the sink and put it in the dishwasher like this. Now boys, in this house, after you load the dishwasher, you have to immediately start it because if your mom comes in and notices that the dishes aren't arranged in the dishwasher the way she would want them arranged, she will take them back out of the dishwasher, rearrange them. So every time you load the dishwasher, you start it because your mom's a psycho and I love her. Ladies, you wanna know why they don't help around in the house? Cause you're crazy. Okay, I'll fold a whole basket of towels. My wife will unfold them. And I'm done, I quit. She's like, well, they have to be folded a certain way. It looks better. I'm like, are we having dinner parties in our bathroom? Like, if we have friends that are judging us by how our towers of, towels are folded, I don't want them as friends. I'm like, I don't know. I mean, he's a good preacher. He's funny at least, but did you see the way their towels were? The first thing we do when people come over is we close all the doors that have the towels. This isn't a Home Depot commercial where like the, 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 the stainless steel thing's always next to the couch. Like, you know, people just sit around on the Home Depot commercials. Oh yeah, that stainless steel version, that's ours, right in the living room. That's not how people operate, crazy people. So I just told my boys, this is how you fold a towel and you have to fold it this way because your mom will unfold all the towels and refold them. Boys, here's how you pick up stuff in the, in the living room. Here's how you wipe off a table. Why am I doing all this? Because one of these days they're gonna be married and their wife is gonna come home and they're gonna wanna spend time with their wife. And she's gonna say, I have to clean the house. But the house is already cleaned, mama. <laughs> what now? I am training my boys to prioritize the things that matter to their mother. I'm training my boys to prioritize the things that matter to a woman. Uh, spiritually, I get up in the morning. Well, no, let me back up. Ladies, let me give you a little Devo. Let me give you a little gift, even though it's Father's Day. There are two ways to train your husband, the carrot and the stick. And men respond best to carrots. I want you to think of your husband as a big, dumb Labrador or golden retriever. We have a golden dummy. You can get one of those. This is what you do. When you see your husband doing something awesome, this is what you do. Oh, you're such a good boy. You're such a good, good, give it to him. Good boy. Let him lick all over your face. Oh, you're such a good dog. Okay, watch, watch. Just listen. Husbands, play it cool. I got your back. Ladies. When you affirm something positive you see in your husband, it releases all of these chemicals that make them go, I wanna do that all the time. So, your husband comes home from work and you see him spend like 30 seconds talking to your kids before he goes about his day. And you stop him and you go, I love it when you stop and pay attention to the boys when you're super busy and you've had a whole much going on in your day. It just makes me feel so loved to see you love our kids. And he goes, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, oh, okay. And then you know what he's gonna do the next day? He's gonna be hanging out with the kids, talking to them and looking through the window, making sure you see him talking to the kids. He's, and he's gonna come in, did you see it, did you see it, did you see it? And you're gonna go, yes I did, yes I did, yes I did. 
And then the next day, he's gonna be walking all the neighborhood kids. He's, he's got them all. What up, everybody? <laughs> and, and when you're coming back, I saw that and I loved it. When your husband prays at dinner and you're wanting him to be a spiritual leader in your home and you go like, hey, babe, would you mind praying for dinner? He's like, God is great, God is good. Thank you, Father, for this food, amen. I love it when you pray out loud over us. I love it when you give a spiritual covering over our family. I love your prayers even when they're short, I love them even when they're long, I love them more when they're long, but if you can only do short, I love them because they're short, I love you, I love you, love you. Next day, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 6 a.m. in the morning, I beseech thee, Father, on behalf of my sleeping wife and my kids who are still asleep at today, there'd be a hedge of protection around them on all angles. I call out the spirits of God to remove the demons. I am covering this family. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And you'll be like, it is 6 a.m. What time would you like me to start praying? <laughs> Ladies, I am telling you, watch. What's the thing that your husband does that he sucks at? Nothing. Because your husband has quit all of the things that he's bad at. How many of you married a guy who's still playing chess? His just fingers are just worn to the bone from playing chess all the time. He's like, I don't, I don't, I don't get it, and I'm done. <laughs> Men gravitate towards affirmation, and they run from failure. So the moment your criticism is perceived as failure, they're like, oh, I guess I'm not going to pray like that again. I guess I'm not going to be honest about that sin again. Dang it, I did this go long again. I'm sorry, I'll be quick. Because here's the deal, more is caught than taught when it comes to your kids. You know this to be true. So in the morning, I want my kids to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I could tell them all day long how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or I could let them catch me having a relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's what I'm doing. I'm doing the catch it method. I get my kids up early in the morning, we did it all last fall. We haven't picked it up this summer yet, but I did it all last fall. Some of the best parenting I ever did in my life. You wanna know how I'm an intentional father? I get my kids up in the morning and I go for a walk with them. And while we're walking, I memorize scripture. That's it. Now there's a couple reasons why we're doing it. One, walking, I know how to do. It's like I'm halfway there. How many of you guys can walk? You're well on your way. And I know how to memorize stuff. You know how to memorize stuff. You just say it over and over and over and over and over again until you've kind of got it pretty much figured out in your head and then you can say it without looking at it. Which means that in order to memorize scripture, I'm saying a scripture out loud over and over and over and over and over again with my kids in front of my kids while we're walking. I'm doing it early in the morning because the first thing I want them to do in the morning is I want them to get their heart directed towards the Lord. I'm doing it outside because I want them to get the sun on their face. Because statistically, all y'all's kids are gonna need counselors and mental uh, health uh, help at the rate we're going. And my family can't afford counselors. And this is what it says. If, if you wanna get out of counseling, one of the first things you need to figure out is you need to get the sun on your face as early as possible. You need to get some exercise in as the first part of your day. And you need to be able to put the spirit of God, which is his word, in your life to combat the doubts and the lies of the enemy. So my boys are right now being pre-hardwired to fight against mental illness and the uh, schemes of the devil. It's super easy. Now I'm telling you, this is easy. Now guess what, when I come home, I love it when you take those boys on spiritual walks. You can do this. Fellas, you could just nudge your wife during the next song and say, hey, would you mind if I prayed out loud over you before you went to bed tonight? Oh. My kids, they don't wanna spend time with me. Yes, they do. We did a survey at our, at our church. Kids will choose you, you over a device. They want you. Go, hey, it's Father's Day. Would you go for a walk with me? And ask a stupid question. What's one thing I did well and one thing I did bad? Pray for your kid, call him up. Make an intentional decision in advance. This is how I'm spending my time. Well, my kids don't get up that early. Well, wear them out tonight, give them a melatonin, they'll be up at five. <laughs> get it done, son, you can do it. They're gonna catch something from you, so let them catch Jesus. 
They've caught your political beliefs. They've caught your generational sins. They've caught your anger. They've caught your frustration. They've caught your looks. They've caught your metabolism. Let them catch Jesus. That's what they need. Let them catch love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Let them catch goodness. Let them catch faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Let them catch Jesus. If you want to be an intentional parent, get yourself so close to the heart of Jesus that that's all that comes out. Let them catch you apologizing for not prioritizing their mom. Let them catch you repenting and saying, I could have done a better job. Let them catch you saying, I'm sorry because I didn't set a good example. Let them catch Jesus. So we do this at our church. You can do whatever you want. It's your church. But in my church, we come up to the steps every week and we pray and we get things right. Now, you're you're not any closer to God when you move up here. God's not like eight feet away. But there's something that happens in your heart when you humble yourself and you care more about what God thinks than what everybody else around you thinks. And the bottom line is, is your family will never catch Jesus if you don't have Jesus to give them. And if you don't have Jesus in your heart, your family has no hope. And if you have questions about how to start an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ, there's somebody in your row or there's somebody around you that would love a chance to talk to you about that. I'm just gonna give you a little uh, testimony real quick, but it won't be my testimony, it'll be the testimony of the people in this room. Because you might be going, I don't know if I'm all in on this Jesus thing. I'm just gonna ask a couple questions to the room. Don't lie. How many of you would say that the very best decision that you ever made was when you made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life? How many of you would say that your biggest regret is that you didn't do it sooner? That's all you need to know. Best decision I ever made, biggest regret is I didn't do it sooner. And if you have questions about that, I wanna make sure you take some time and find some people. But to the rest of you in the room, whether you wanna come up here and get down on your knees or you wanna pull a Tim Tebow in whatever spot you're at where you get down on one knee, Spend some time today praying for your wife, praying for your husband, praying for your parents, praying for your grandparents, praying for your kids, praying for the future spouse of your kids. Spend some time on your knees, begging God to use you to be an intentional parent and a difference maker and a change agent in their life, that God would do work today that has generational impact. Would you stand with me? God, I'm asking you to do a mighty work right here, right now, in this room, with us. God, take the spiritual ground that only you can take. Bring about a renewal that only you can bring about. Start a fire in this church that Satan can't put out. Do the work, God. Humble us. In your name I pray, amen.